If you're an entrepreneur, you know how valuable the right support can be. We've heard tons about virtual assistants, but what about leveling up even further? Let's think about experts. I came across more staffing recently. They're not just about connecting businesses with virtual assistants. Instead, they focus on matching you with professionals from the Philippines. We're talking about finance, supply chain, operations, marketing, and others. The real kicker? More staffing goes the extra mile. They back their placements with a 12-month guarantee, and they even coach them for the first six months. This ensures you're getting someone who's not only skilled, but also integrates seamlessly into your operations. If you're ready to evaluate and transform your business, head over to morenow.co. Again, morenow.co. Next year's creeping up quick. If you want to skyrocket revenue in 2024, you need tech that puts you in the pilot seat. The new HubSpot sales hub will help you close out the year strong and kickstart your success for 2024. Teams can collaborate on every inch of the customer journey and keep operations running smoothly with a comprehensive prospecting workspace and powerful sales and analytics tools that keep data connected across teams. Speed up your workflows and navigate your platform with ease with the AI-powered conversational platform ChatSpot. And use AI Assistant to write copy, generate emails, and more. They'll help you whip up assets and execute tasks that used to take hours out of your workday. HubSpot Sales Hub lets you accelerate every facet of your sales operation with precision. And with over 1,400 integrations, there are tons of ways to mix in new features. So finish out Q4 strong and gear up for the new year with HubSpot Sales Hub. Learn more at hubspot.com sales. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by William Gassner, who is the co-founder and CMO of Stack Influence. So, William, I'll let you kick us off. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you guys do at Stack Influence? Awesome. First off, uh, appreciate having me on the pod. And uh, yeah, I'm the chief marketing officer at Stack. Um, we automate brands and micro-influencers and do it all at scale. Um, so think hundreds to thousands of promotions a month. Um, my background is actually in the D2C e-commerce space. So been an e-commerce seller since 2019. Um, had some big failures and big successes. Um, became a million dollar seller actually during the fidget toy boom, which uh, was a pretty interesting story in itself. And uh, used lots of influencer marketing during those days. So which actually led us to create Stack Influence and solve a lot of the issues we were seeing in the market. Um, and yeah, brief background. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, I yeah, I'd love to I'd love to kind of understand a little bit more about, so when you were doing the fidget spinner sort of stuff, like how did you, um, like what was the influencer strategy and what were some of the pain points that you guys were looking to solve? Absolutely. So a few different things, and I think this is a challenge across all D2C brands, is when you first start out, getting your first customers, building up um, content and like building your brand itself are quite challenges, right? And so... What we found is specifically the smaller creators um, was it was kind of the best bang for our buck because we not only were able to generate a whole bunch of content that we could use on our marketing, our ads, our social media, um, but we could effectively get promotions and awareness out there predominantly by just sending free product away, right? Um, and paying certain creators depending on what their reach and their engagement was. Uh, but it was a really effective tactic for us to just kind of get the ball rolling because once we generate some great content and then we start getting some initial sales, building up a newsletter list, et cetera, we were able to use that content, start running ads. The ads performed much better than the kind of professional content that we were paying actually photographers to 
generate, um, which, uh, and then from there, it kind of a uh, snowball effect, right? You start to build up um, a community of people who love your product. They can consistently promote for you, become ambassadors, affiliates, and uh, it get, get on the roller coaster and get going, you know? Um, so that was really where I had used it in my past e-commerce businesses, but um, during the fidget toy trend, especially because it was a massive trend, was really where we took advantage of it full force um, and were able to actually really leverage it. We had huge success actually on Amazon um, and I can go into how we leverage those tactics specifically for online marketplaces. But uh, yeah, that was where we found a huge amount of success. Yeah, I'm curious, what was the scale that you guys were working at when you were doing it for the fidget spinners like manually and, and what was the stack that you were using then? So originally we were using... Um, a lot of the other, most of the tools out there, I think as you know, Ramon, is they're kind of like influencer CRMs. Like they'll give you a database of people and then you're left to reach out to them, negotiate with them, get them product, right? So we used a few various tools like Grin and uh, it's been a while now, but a um, few others, but those were predominantly the softwares we used. And we also did a bunch of manual outreach ourselves, right? Um, but the biggest challenges we faced during that were economics of scale, right? Like finding enough people, especially the content side, you only need a few pieces of content to really have like a strong, for example, advertising campaign, et cetera. But if you want to make the promotional side for nano micro influencers effective um, and leverage their high engagement levels, kind of their trustworthiness, you really need to work with a lot of them. And that was the first challenge we really faced was like even using these CRM softwares, finding enough people. And then even if you found enough, managing them and like getting them product, making sure they do what they say they're going to do. Um, that was the largest challenge we found. And we were really trying to get to like hundreds of collaborations a month. And that was the initial um, impetus to start developing some softwares in house that we could leverage to outreach to people, to manage them, um, to make sure that they actually did what they say they're gonna do um and i can go into some of those strategies that we've now incorporated into stack influence but that was in essence the birth of stack and the two biggest issues we were trying to solve was like scale and then automation right um yeah i i think it's important it's an important topic for brands because you know for example those a lot of those softwares like aren't cheap yeah and then not only are they expensive but then you don't know that the creators in there are also then going to have like really high rates becomes a six figure play. Um, and also a lot of those databases don't discriminate for other companies that might be in your same space and you might exhaust that database. You're in for a year long contract. And so, um, how do you navigate or see like, um, and, and this might tie into what you guys are doing, um, the, the database space for when it comes to, you know, the influencer CRM management process. Totally. Um, that space is honestly evolving a lot. And where I see it going is honestly, those monthly, those huge monthly fees, yearly fees are going to become non-existent just because of the competition that's out there and the social platforms competing in the space, right? So now you have um, Meta's own influencer platform, TikTok's influencer platform, like those things they have unlimited users, right? They have all the users on their platform. So, or at least who have expressed that they want to be a creator. And so now you can use a lot of those for free. Some caveats to that, they might limit like types of collaborations, cost of collaborations. Um, I think 
Meta has like a hundred dollar payment limit, so you can't really necessarily use it as well for product seeding alone. Um, but they're entering that space and displacing a lot of these other companies that have were the largest in the industry, right? Um, and we're able to charge those huge monthly yearly fees because they kind of had the monopoly. And that that's the biggest thing I see changing and where things evolving to is more management solutions, right? Like now everyone can really access um, creators and find creators and do that in an effective way. But like, how do you effectively manage them? How do you get the right types of content, the right type of collaboration and do that in an efficient manner? That's also cost effective. Sweet. So, so William, my, my other question is like, you know, how, how do you guys kind of think about building product then with what you're saying, right? Like, obviously you want to cater to the creator, the platforms themselves are thinking about um, doing all the things maybe early movers were able to do, but they're starting to tap into now because they realize they've got to cater to their core creators. So like how, how I guess, A, do you step, stay one step ahead and B, like, what are you able to provide to businesses who are like looking to work with you guys versus going direct to a different, you know, platform? Totally. Um, so a few things besides obviously the scale and the management automation that we discussed. One is um, we specialize in product seeding. So, um, and that paying creators and product seeding is quite evolving rapidly. Um, absolutely not an absolute advocate of not paying people, right? I think people deserve to be paid for their hard work. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are amazing creators that if you can find the right match with the right product, they're willing to do a promotion in exchange for just the product, right? Um, it has to fit their aesthetic. It has to fit their desires. But there's exterior or external benefits besides the monetary compensation side, which are like, I'm sponsored by or I'm an ambassador for a brand I love and I'm promoting a product I actually care about, right? Like you're a rock climber and all you do is rock climb at, or like that's on your social profile and I give you free rock climbing shoes, right? You might not need to get paid even if you have a decent follower base and high engagement because it's what you care about. You love the brand you're representing, right? So it's first off the correct matchmaking. Second off the product compensation model, which is what we focus on. We find it to be more authentic and trustworthy. Reason being is like everyone knows when you pay someone, especially celebrities like Kim Kardashian and stuff like that, which are a different spectrum. But you pay someone to do a promotion. A lot of people know like you might not care about this product, right? You're doing it for the money. When products of compensation, it really like becomes more authentic. It's like a real testimonial, right? Brand side also obviously more cost effective to actually scale. If you pay for a million people, you're paying for this massive software, things get pricey very rapidly. Um, so that's one of the first big things is because we do product compensation only, it enables people to actually work with a lot of creators in a short time period. Second thing, and this is a big issue with the product seeding world, which is not, there's many other different ways you can do product seeding. Um, we actually developed a system where we find influencers or creators who are willing to actually not only do something for a free product, but actually become a consumer of the brand that they collaborate with. What I mean by that is they are actually required to go buy um, a client's products from their website, from some sort of place that's sold online before they participate in the campaign. Why do we do this? First, it creates extra intent. So um, again, if not only are you doing something for product as your compensation, but you're actually pulling out your pocketbook and spending your own money to do this, right? 
Second thing is handle shipping logistics really efficiently, right? Shipping out product, getting things lost, right? If you're going through a normal e-commerce channel, especially if it's through like a marketplace like Amazon, it's going to be pretty quick. You could get the product in a day, so you can turn around time frame pretty fast. Um, second thing that we do, actually just to complete how this process works, is influencer buys the product. Once they successfully complete a social promotion, the brand then is responsible to reimburse the influencer for their expenses, right? So they get it for free. But the biggest thing that solves, and this is one of the largest issues we faced when we were first doing this, was influencers either stealing a product or creators, not following requirements or delaying quite rapidly. And when you're not paying someone, it's hard to have some sort of insurance, right? So this solved a lot of big issues because literally we were losing like 20% of the products we sent out. And sometimes, depending on what strategy you do, you can lose more. So now... We ensure that when we send a product to someone, if they don't complete the post, if they don't do what they say they're going to do, there's some skin in the game and then they don't get reimbursed. And a lot of times the creators actually, we when we first started this, we thought a lot of people were going to be upset, right? Um, that they didn't do, even though they were the ones who didn't do what they say they were going to do. But in truth, it's like a lot of, a lot of creators, this is their side gig, right? It's not necessarily a career path. Many are on that path, but um sometimes they signed up for something they wanted a product they loved the brand but then life became busy right they people have a job people have families and so they didn't complete the post the same in the time frame or they just kind of forgot they signed up for something and if you make that again going back to that proper match if you make the match proper um they aren't upset they're like hey i would have paid my own money for this product anyway send me more collaboration opportunities you know so those are two big valuable things that we have implemented the platform is that we can actually ensure you get collaborations that it's cost effective because you are only compensating really people with product. Everything is automated from A to Z. So literally a brand gets to sit back and monitor a campaign as it progresses, but they don't have to deal with shipping products, making sure people follow their requirements, reimbursing them. All of that is handled by the SAC Influence platform. Um, and they can actually do it at scale. The platform literally can accomplish hundreds of thousands of promotions. Yeah, no, what I what I like about that is like a brand, especially for brands that are starting out, like they need momentum as well in order to be able to attract creators. Because at a certain point, you know, the 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 tables can flip and then they can have creators who are like previously weren't gonna be interested or now interested because you have momentum, seating allows you to scale faster. And so I mean, and a byproduct of that is that um, you need volume in order to know what performs and what works. And if you're paying creators thousands of dollars for a post, it's going to be really expensive for you to get enough data points to know what works and what doesn't work. Totally. On the creator side, the same thing applies. The creator who's starting out, um, they need momentum to build their brand, to build their portfolio and be able to evolve from there. A lot of the pain points you mentioned, I'm really familiar with, and especially like, you know, let's talk about, um, you know, let's save some time and money for a brand that is listening and they're going to start their seeding process. Um, you know, I, I would always tell brands, you're going to, you know, you can manage it in house. Sure. You can have a VA, et cetera, but you're going to have a ton of headaches, you know, tons of stolen products, endlessly following up with people. So um, for the brands that are listening, what are some reasons why you wouldn't want to do it fully in-house? Yeah, I mean, 
first off, you mentioned a few of these things is that you can hire a VA, you can do all this stuff, but um, it takes a full team to actually do something to an effective scale. Um, that's the biggest I would say. And then second is like actually tracking proper conversions, getting people to follow requirements, understanding the effective tactics to do a promotion or get quality UGC, right? Um, as you know, Ramon quite well. Um, so those are kind of, I would say the reasons to use some sort of software or managed system or even hire an agency potentially. Um, the ways to do it yourself, obviously, like if you only, if you want to just get your foot wet and I tell people to do this is like, go test it out. Right. Um, you should have Instagram reach DM and then come back after exactly. right? because I know they will. Yeah. You know it actually is even when you're outsourcing it to VAs. Right. Um, and it becomes quite a headache and you can do it at a scale of maybe like a few handful a month, but like you really want to, it depends on where you're trying to go with this. And especially with larger creators, you might not need a hundred of them, right? Um, you might only need a few to like have an effective tactic, but now you're putting a lot of your eggs in one basket, especially as a small brand. Um, influencer promotions can be hit or miss. And that's another big advantage I love about nano and micro collaborations is you diversify that risk, right? A few of them might not work out, but if you're working with a hundred as opposed to two, right? The odds that you actually have an effective tactic um, dramatically go up, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's about setting that expectation. Like brands need to know that like, it's just going to take, you're going to miss a bunch, um, but some are going to hit and it's going to make it worth it. And I think setting that expectation from the beginning is a major key because otherwise you might, you know, you might be trying to stock down one creator out of five when in reality, all you need is volume in order to be success and not obsessing over, um, that one lost product. Um, one question I have for you is, uh, how do you, how do you guys deal with like multi-platforms? So, you, you know, it's funny because like, if you outsource it to an, it becomes a lot of work. And so if you're doing TikTok, Instagram, you outsource it to an agency, an agency is going to have the same problems that, that you're having. It's just that you're not going to have to deal with the details of the problems, but it's likely not going to be as successful. You don't know what's going on behind the curtains and you're going to bring it back in, et cetera. And a lot of the agencies use these softwares um, exactly. already anyway. So it's full circle. Yeah, you're double up paying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so how do you deal with multi-platform? Do you... um. You know, you guys work with um, TikTok, Instagram. Do you think brands should be doing both at the same time? How do you see that? Absolutely. Um, so actually, our platform right now is fully catered to Instagram. Um, even though TikTok have very good things to say about TikTok promotions um, and an absolute advocate of it. Um, again, our platform is specialized at scale. TikTok is coming on live to our system as well as YouTube Shorts. Um, hopefully Q1 2024. Um, but, uh, but basically we decided to focus specifically on Instagram just because first off, it was the largest platform. Um, and second, it was what we want to do is figure out a way to actually do this automation. Um, and, and do that again, at a economics of hundreds of thousands of promotions. What becomes difficult at that point is like making sure that people actually do what they say they're going to do, confirming actually the post it's a specific aesthetic, has the product in a proper way, right? We need automation there. We've actually built out a bunch of different AI analysis tools to do that because it's unfeasible, unfeasible to actually have humans 
be totally involved in every single confirmation. Right. The difficulty is what we face is adding all these different platforms, right? Requires new API integration, new analysis, et cetera. Um, but going back to, that's what our platform does, but going back to just overall advice, what has been an amazing trend that this fits in with the nano and micro world with all the social platforms, specifically Instagram and uh, um, TikTok, Instagram Reels specifically, but uh, is the idea of follower base is kind of dying, right? Um, what now matters is content. And you could have 100 followers and your post now on TikTok or Instagram Reels could go viral. Like you can get millions of views. So it adds to that um, kind of ideology of diversifying your risk across 100 people because the odds that a few of them actually really make a massive impact are very high. Um, and that's where the social platforms are changing because what they care about is the consumer or the user actually staying on the platform. It's like, who cares if the person with a million followers has a million people see their posts? It's like, they'd rather have the amazing content by the person who has only a hundred followers and not pop up in your feed because you're going to stay on the social platform. And that fits right into this evolution of working with these smaller creators and, uh, um, scaling that out. We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals, and we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network yeah what one thing that i think is really interesting there and ramon we this is something we've seen as well it's like when you're working with micro influencers like not every one of them is going to hit and but then when it does hit it like makes it all worth it yeah but you can't get those benefits without scale right because if you only have you know three shots on goal and you miss all of them, you're going to be like, oh my God, this was a total waste. <laughs> Why would I ever work with creators? Exactly. But if you're able to get, I mean, we saw this Ramon with, with um, Cast Magic that we're working on. It's a SaaS product, but it's a, it's a similar principle, right? Like work with different creators, create content and, um, you know, look for the content to pop. And I think we were working with like five creators and like literally the first four flopped. And then the fifth one had a video that did like six million views and like it just blew up and we're like oh shit <laughs> thank god that one blew up because otherwise this would have looked really bad um so i guess the question is you know how do you think about it for early brands right because like an early brand main that's just getting off the ground like it they may not be able to afford um a platform and a whole massive campaign to be able to distribute to you know, a hundred different content creators. But like you said, it's really tough to do by yourself. Is there any middle ground? Would you say like, you know, try it yourself with 10 creators or try product seeding to like 20? Like where where would you draw the line in terms of like, you know, for a brand that's just starting up, how to like test and validate this themselves? Or would you just say, don't even bother with it until you're, you're, you've got enough revenue to, to make it work with an agency or, or platform? I think that you can get an effective test doing it yourself right off the bat by reaching out to them or honestly using some of the the social platforms, influencer softwares, because you're not paying a dime for them. You may have to pay a little more per creator, but um, 
the important thing when you're first also testing is is finding the right person, right? Is like making sure that they align with the brand, they have high enough engagement, they're actually kind of have some sort of aesthetic that speaks to what you're doing. Try to get the highest odds of success with a smaller group of people. And 10 to 20 honestly can be a good test to just see if this is influencer marketing, by the way, I don't think works for every single brand. You know what I mean? There are people who come to us who are like, I have a athlete's foot cream that um, definitely sells like millions of dollars on Amazon, but it's like no one really wants to go on social media and talk about how amazing this thing cured their athlete's foot, right? Um, and so there's certain niches that you might be able to find one or two weird creators who are willing to do that, but it becomes difficult, right? So um, it's another thing to actually think about when also creating a product because influencer marketing has become very established and one of the most effective ways to get the word out. So it's like when you create something, um, does your branding, is your branding positive? Is will people actually use this product and promote about it and talk about it? Um, and you can do that with like, we recently worked with a, a bowel movement supplement brand that's actually performing really, really well. And it's kind of people are talking about more like probiotics and like being healthy, right? Even though not many people, like if you angled it in a different way, it might not be effective and not many people will take it up. Um, but I do think like testing out the waters yourself isn't a bad tactic, especially if a lot of brands just have zero budget in the beginning. Um, but to really make it into a true effective thing that you do consistently, um, I'd recommend using either software similar to Stack Influence like Trend um, or or trying to at least, some people do effectively do it with VAs, but it just is lots of logistics to figure out. <laughs> For sure. There's, there's something that resonates there um, with, what you said, which is, you know, sometimes I would see a product that I would be like, there's no way that any creator is going to want to promote this. And then creators were super amped about it. Like there was one, like some really old classic, like ice cream cone brand, like just to call the waffle cone. I'm like, this is trash. Like nobody's going to want to. And then like creators were going crazy about it. And it actually like really so yeah there's an audience for everything out there Literally. um and, and there are fans for for everything and you know like you said the product might not necessarily be an approach of like a fan base virality but it strikes another chord which is the emotion chord it's a pain point or something that somebody has gone through in their personal life that they can attach a story to it that makes it emotional Absolutely. and the conversion rate might be way higher than anything that's like going viral, getting a bunch of views, but um, it's not hitting um, the viewer. So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to managing these creators who are telling essentially like relaying these stories, because some of them can say the story of your brand, even them, them you yourself as a brand can, um, it exposes you to new audiences that you previously didn't know were available. So if we look at, the creator creative direction management process there two there's two ends of the spectrum one is like hand holding i'm going to give you scripts i'm going to tell you like here's like all our documentation our pain points and then the other one is like let it roll these are creators they'll figure it out whatever hits hits um they should be the creative ones so how what what advice do you have to brands between either end of those spectrums? Like, is it an in between, or is it you, you should you, you be in either one of those? 
It's a great question. Um, I would say it's an in-between. So we prefer to give most creative control to the the creator or the influencer. Um, you can't underestimate the creativity that people can come up with that you would never think possible. And you're dealing with people who know they're also audience, right? So at the end of the day, like an authentic testimonial is what sells. Like you give someone a script, like that might not resonate and be very authentic. Like you let someone kind of give their actual truthful opinion on something. First off, that's actually really valuable to you as a brand, especially when you're first starting out to get just product feedback. Um, but it ends up, we just find it being much more effective. However, that said, and this is where the middle ground comes in, like giving some guardrails um, to what people, how people kind of should portray the product or like suggestions, right? Um, as far as, and some guidelines of like, you should disclose this um, as abiding by FTC guidelines. Um, you might, certain things of like, if it's a very specific medical product, like there might be restrictions on what someone can say or can't say. Um, and those things a creator might not be aware of, right? So you want to kind of direct those guidelines as well. Um, but some people will just appreciate you saying like, this is the most effective way to use this product, right? And this is how it can be portrayed in the best light, but give your authentic testimonial about this and be creative. Um, and I think that is the most effective way to kind of, you guide people, you have a brief, but like don't force them to do everything that you think is the best effective way because sometimes you don't know. Right, and and I think, you know, there's so much power within the brief. <clears throat> and, you know, especially if the goals are, are outlined in the brief, like yeah, a better brief doesn't necessarily mean more guidelines, more steps, etc. But um, showing what the goal is, the creator doesn't don't assume that the creator know what your goal is going to be, and the goal isn't always necessarily going to be conversion. It might have been yeah. content, it might have been exploring a new audience, um, it might have been testing even something as crazy as like testing traffic to a landing page that they've never tested before. It might be testing. Um, the market's reaction to a product that's still in beta that they haven't actually launched. Absolutely. And sometimes this communication is missed and then it's communicated post the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get pissed. Um, that is such a truthful fact is like the cool thing about influencers in general and creators is you get a wide, there's different angles you can slice the pie, right? You can do it for content. You can do it for awareness. You can do it to drive conversions. And each one of those things actually can have a different angle to it and guideline around it. And the creator might not know that to your point. So um, giving them that direction of what your actual objective is, is really important. Ramon, uh, I, I'm just thinking about like, you know, how content can be so different. I, I think I, I DM'd Ramon this video I saw the other day on Instagram that like Oatly did where they like worked with this like ping pong player who could like slice the ball like all the way around the table. And they just lined up all these things of like Oatly around this ping pong table and the guy hits a shot and you just see the ball and you're like watching it like bounce around. But like you obviously can't help but watch the like see the Oatly container. Yeah. And I think it did like 20 million views or like something absurd. And I was like, wow, this is genius. Like literally no one was even saying anything about like the Oatly yeah. it was just in the shot itself. And it just goes to show it's like, you know, I'm sure the creative brief wasn't like, oh, like, let me do it. But if you give it to the right <laughs> creator... Like, yeah. wait a minute like we can we can make this work so um but like to that point right like you know maybe it wasn't the highest converting thing but you got 
20 million eyeballs on any product, it's going to, it's definitely going to help, um, from an awareness point of view, but yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting in your, in our experience to work with creators. Sometimes when you try to pigeonhole them in too much of a box, um, and say, oh, you have to say it this way, or you have to say it that way. It just comes off as either inauthentic or whatever. And it's better off just giving the creator freedom, the guidelines that they absolutely need to follow, but like, let them surprise you. Yeah. Even, right. Like, I, I actually, I actually want to like double click on that because like, I want to talk about attribution, but I also, William, like having experience here, you, you have a conversation with a brand who's like diving into it for the first time. Then you ask them, what is your goal? Every single time, so it'll be like sales, like <laughs> we just want sales. And you know, it's like, um, you, I would be talking with a brand. It's like, well, if you're like, and I would actually dive into like the overall business and they would tell me like all the problems about the business. I'm like, I think you have like a bigger problem than yeah. just like getting an influencer to have your product hit. Um, like maybe no one just wants to buy your toilet paper or something like that. So, um, my question to you is like, is that the right approach, um, for a brand to start off? Like what should be the expectation and what should they be aiming for, um, when they're first, you know, creating their, their campaigns? Really another really good question. Um, and we get that all the time is like most brands come to influencer marketing, thinking of it exactly like I'm running a Facebook ad and it's synonymous with performance marketing, right? Which it isn't always the case. Um, big issues as you probably know in the social media realm is many of the social platforms want to mitigate traffic outside the platform, right? They're not allowing external traffic links. They're now creating their own storefronts um, that are integrated into the social platform itself, which is another conversation to have about kind of where things are moving of like social commerce, et cetera. Um, but it's not always the case that it's going to be a perfect one person promotes and right away in the next 20 minutes, you're going to drive 10 sales. You're going to have five X ROI, right? Um, it can be a more long-term performance marketing play. And I don't think that brands should give up on influencer marketing just because it didn't drive them sales instantaneously. There's levels, right? It's like some people, as you know, a trend of like, a quality piece of UGC, um, you may run the, an ad and it may decrease your ad cost by 5x, right? You just made your ROI with one piece of content, right? Even though you worked with like 30, 50 creators, 100 creators, like that one piece of content may have paid for that entire campaign tenfold. Um, you may find someone who you worked with or collaborated with who becomes an amazing affiliate for you or an ambassador who like is promoting in a long-term fashion and it's just an absolute advocate for your product, right? And you might have not driven a single sale. Hopefully you did, but from the promotions of these people, but like you found that one individual who has transformed your business. So there's different ways that you can extract value from these collaborations. Um, but absolutely, obviously, e-commerce businesses are in, in the business to make money most of the time. Uh, yeah, and the beauty of like the nano or micro-influencers is like, they can grow really fast. And so yeah. you might build a relationship <clears throat> early on. Um, and, you know, the, the algorithm is going to catch up to the creator. Um, uh, it's not a matter of it, but when, if they make good content, because it all stems from good content and the algorithm is going to catch that. I mean, even with micro influencers, 
you know, they have a tight audience, might see the product once. I'm like, cool. Oh, another micro influencer, like got to see, I got to see the product from a second time. And that's when the conversion happens. When really like this all started a few months ago with the first um, time that I got to see it. So attribution is, I'm curious how you guys handle attribution. For me, um, it's almost like a lost battle in social because it's yeah. just it's just so tough. Like even with the links, you know, you have to swipe up, etc. Exactly. Conversion might not happen there. Um, coupon codes um, work. Yeah, I'm curious on on how you think about attribution. We look at overall. So what we always advise brands is like to make sure they understand their data. And usually, when you're pursuing an influencer marketing campaign for the first time, especially um, to not just start another simultaneous like new marketing initiative at the same time. So at least you have controlled experiment to know, okay, my sales every week are X on my website or Amazon, et cetera. And now during this promotion, where did things end up, right? So cumulative kind of like halo effects of the campaign because inevitably, as you said, like if you do a certain type of promotion, you can't put a clickable link. The only way to do it is you have a story which dies off and you can have a link there. People links in bio, but some people don't go through that funnel, right? Even if a brand's tagged in the post, like many people will just get awareness of something, love it, go to Google and Google it that way, right? And so pure attribution isn't necessarily there. And I don't think brands should always fixate on that. And it's a hard battle for the influencer space to solve. But the brands that actually get like, and can understand kind of that halo effect of that promotion and how that affects overall their sales and their awareness are the ones who become these million dollar brands because they do it on an effective scale. They don't give up when like they ran a campaign and they didn't see the perfect attribution. They're like, this doesn't work for me. Right. Whereas like their sales actually did skyrocket and like they're making more sales for the next six months than they ever did in the past 12 months, you know? Um, that's, that's, that's so true because it reminds me we would have brands sometimes that like would then get, end up getting acquired by Pepsi or Unilever. Yeah. And every single time it was one of those brands getting acquired at that level. It was, even if they weren't huge, um, when they first started working with us, it's, it's brands that weren't getting caught up in like the small details. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of this meme. That's like the curve of like the guy crying and then, you know, um, uh, unique links, um, codes, it's, it's like, it's like blended. Then it's like unique links, unique codes. We need attribution and then back to like blend it. And I agree with you. It's like, you should know your business from top of funnel should know your metrics and like, just log like, Hey, this was the week where we got 10 posts. This yeah. is the week where we got 20. Um, and just look at everything from like uh, a zoomed out picture. Oh, Lane, I know you wanted to jump in. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say about the halo effect is I think another thing brands kind of discount, especially when you get a piece of creative that pops, is like the creative will pop. You get all this awareness. And a lot of times other creators are like following and looking for content that's popping to create more content around it. And then you've got people who are like reduplicating, just redoing entire content pieces and all of that sort of stuff. So I know like in our examples, when we've had, um, you know, micro influencers sort of create creative that popped all of a sudden we see this like trickle down effect of like the people who are like replicating that content and then a lot of times like hitting us up and being like hey i just created this great content for you like do you want to work together and i'm like you literally just reposted this content that this other guy did but like i guess it's great because you know um but you and you do see that halo effect so i do think it's 
it is very real. It's tough to get like direct attribution for obviously, even when a lot of times with, with creators, you might be like, oh, enter this code or do this or do that. But the reality is the way people buy, like Ramon, like you mentioned, sometimes they don't buy on the spot and sometimes they don't remember the code and sometimes they don't buy on mobile. Sometimes they go to desktop. So it's not always like the conversion happening there. But I do think there is a very real, um, you know, halo effect to these creative campaigns. And then also in the, in the like signups and conversion charts that you'll see, it's like, it, they come in kind of waves, right? It's not yeah. just like a surge that just like immediately dies. It's like they, it's like the sales and the conversion. It trickles. Like, it so, so yeah, that's all just interesting stuff to to like for brands to be aware of when they're they're working with creators. Uh, trying to attribute it. It's like we've we've and not to downplay attribution. Attribution's amazing. Like controlled <laughs> like data and knowing I put a dollar and I made five dollars back is beautiful, but. Um, I feel like Google and Facebook, like we become brands have become drunk off perfect attribution. If we think back to like hundreds of years of brands promoting, right? It's like, I mean, less than that recently, but you look at like TV ads, right? Product placement, like those things are still very, very effective ways to get brands out. You have zero attribution there, you know? Um, and people still don't that like the social side is way more accessible to small brands like you're not getting your product in the placement of the next netflix tv show or the next movie that's coming out right but you can get in the hands of a creator who could actually possibly have as much of a reach as that show did right and so that's a beautiful thing that like if you kind of shift your mentality to why are these brands actually giving paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to people to product place there or have a tv ad right with zero attribution it's like because it works, you know what I mean? An another thing that, that we see that's like really interesting and, um, you know, Ramon, maybe you have a little bit more data, but we're still early, so we're still parsing through it, but it's almost like when you get creative done by like an organic creator, you're also like buying into that trust that that creator has with their audience or even the people that are seeing it organically because they're like, oh, this must be recommended for me or whatever, there's some algorithm matching versus if you're running a performance style ad of, creative even just on facebook you're almost look like a people are like immediately this is an ad so like that that guard goes up from the buyer and then it might come it might turn to like someone who's like really more of a bottom of the funnel buyer like i have this exact pain point and i need to solve it now so i'm going to convert and buy it now from facebook right as opposed to you know someone who sees something more organically and is like oh that is a good idea i do want it it's more of an organic kind of trustworthy purchase and I guess like you know short info of what we sort of see in the data is sometimes you know the most the the strongest conversion is like that organic word of mouth sort of conversion so like we've run even tests where we completely shut off our performance like Facebook ads yeah and we don't even see like and we and that allows us to see like what our baseline is yeah um, an organic perspective and we're like wait a minute we're actually doing pretty good from an organic perspective, you know, and then it allows you to like tweak up and refine, but like all these sort of creative um, campaign, it's not, you know, you obviously want to have attribution, but also understanding that there are different types of media essentially and different types of like promotions that you're running or it's really important. For I mean, yeah, like that trust element translates into conversion. Like, you know, uh, the, the other end of the spectrum is like app platforms over attributing conversions and um and so you might get a bunch top of the funnel visitors leads out to cart whatever it is 
but the conversion is in a straw or even the LTV of the customer that comes through that lead source is not going to be the same LTV as like somebody who follows a creator that they really like, they trust, um, and they follow. So like there's, there's a bunch of different data points to look at in order to, in order to measure the success. Really, really true. Um, yeah, William, before we wrap up here, uh, the other question that I wanted to get into was, uh, you know, in terms of trends, right? Like social is always evolving. Like there's different platforms, there's different styles of creative and there's like, there's different micro influencers doing different stuff. But I'd love to get just some perspective from you in terms of like on the ground, what you see working now and maybe what you think um, styles of types of content will work, um, you know, in the future before everything changes again, you've got the algorithm changing and creative styles changing. But like, what's hot right now and um, from an organic creative perspective and where do you see things kind of going and like, what have you seen performing for brands? Cool. Yeah. Um, well, first off, and this is a recent trend. I mean, this industry evolves quite rapidly, um, but video, absolutely. And you see that with the advent of TikTok in general and how much that blew up being a video centric platform and where Instagram quickly creating reels to replicate their success. You also see um, even Amazon just launched their own kind of competitor to TikTok. It's called the Inspire app that is integrating a lot of different UGC content, predominantly video, um, but video sells, right? Like someone speaking about your product, still value to imagery, but um, but video is absolutely where things are trending. And then also social commerce, right? Is like, especially we're at a very much infancy in the US, like China and Asia has already are like light years ahead of kind of a live shopping, social commerce, like QVC was really all we had in, in the US and we still do. And there's going to be billions of dollars made in that industry. And that's another, that's really where I see kind of the next, um, the next evolution to influencers in general is like things melding together, right? The, the social platforms integrate with the e-commerce platforms. Going back to attribution, there's much more attribution there. Like also everyone becoming a creator is the bottom line, right? Is like the most trustworthy people in your life are the ones that you actually get buying decisions from, right? Is like word of mouth marketing is the most powerful marketing that's ever existed. And that and now every single human being almost has a social platform, or at least the majority. Um, and so that becoming kind of like everyone has a platform to promote on. Everyone should be actually leveraging that and getting value out of that. Um, those are the two probably biggest trends I see things evolving into is like everything moving towards video, social commerce really becoming a larger thing. Live, live commerce, at least in the US, becoming a larger um, avenue and uh, obviously AI helping with all of this um, not to throw more buzzwords around but <laughs> but uh, aspects to AI right um, there's already these digital creators that are that have millions of followers and are actually doing product placement and and selling for brands so um, it'll be interesting to see how just that integrates into um the whole ecosystem as well sweet um well william want to thank you for coming on the show today um before you run uh why don't you shout out your socials or where our listeners can connect with you or learn more about stack influence absolutely um so stackinfluence.com um best place to find us 
all the socials we got at Stack Influence um, across Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, and then if you ever want to send me a message directly, it's just William at StackInfluence.com. Sweet. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for both of you for having me. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.